right. Welcome in everybody to another episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. I am your host, Blythe Brumley. And today I want to talk about how I relaunched my podcast. And for those folks who are maybe thinking about starting up a podcast or or maybe you have one that feels a little stagnant, uh, this is going to be the episode for you because I'm going to run through everything that I did in order to relaunch or I guess kind of launch a new podcast because for a little bit of a backstory, I have been a podcaster, a on-air radio broadcaster, a TV personality, all that, you know, good stuff here and locally in the Jacksonville, Florida market. And I've been doing that since 2014. Now, because I come from a sports and entertainment background, transitioning into the B2B world for the last couple of years, the majority of my old audience, or rather oldish slash newish audience, is a kind of a big hodgepodge. It's kind of a big mix of a bunch of different people, which is great. But for marketing's sake, it doesn't really work for the 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 content that I publish, especially when the majority of that audience is familiar with my sports and entertainment audience. They don't necessarily care about my B2B marketing tips. So that was the big reasoning for me to relaunch the podcast from the original Guys Girls show into the Helmets and Heels show and into the just the Blythe Bromley show. And that was just a good sort of ebbs and flows of a marketer trying to find her way. And now that I feel pretty cemented into who I am as a businesswoman, who I am as a media personality, I said, it's finally time. We need to go ahead and just pull the bandaid off and let's get this podcast started with using all of the information that we've built up over several years of producing content. Let's go ahead and get that recycled into a new format. And so if you are listening to this show right now, which obviously you wouldn't be hearing this if you weren't listening to it, uh, then you are listening to the revamped version of my old show. And so this particular episode is going to talk about everything that I did. And I think for a lot of folks, what is the biggest hurdle to overcome is the emotional confidence hurdle. Um, particularly for me, it was a situation where I was very emotionally attached. I started off, you know, being a podcaster when podcasting wasn't really that cool of a thing to do. Now everybody and their mom seems to have a podcast, but I was doing it in, in an age where even the radio station that I worked at at the time didn't believe in podcasts. And so what they would do is they would send me the show file. They would put it on. They wouldn't actually send it to me. They would put it on a little zip drive and then I would take Take that zip drive home after co-hosting the show. I would go home. I would upload the show. I would send it over to my podcast editor. He would take out all of the local commercials and then make it into a nice, you know, sort of, you know, hour, hour and a half show of a neatly packaged uh, sports and entertainment show. And then I would take that and I would upload it to my own personal, you know, hosting account. So that worked well for a few years, a handful of years. And then I started experimenting with other different show formats. I started going live more often, um, using that content and putting it on the podcast. So I had a bunch of different variations, a bunch of trial and errors with that old show, but I was still emotionally attached to it because that was my baby. That was something that I didn't necessarily want to give up on. So I think the biggest, one of the bigger hurdles for me is getting over that confidence jump because I wasn't even sure if the audience would follow. I was getting a few hundred plays on every episode and that's decent, um, especially for a sort of small timer podcaster, part timer podcaster. And so it, there was a lot of struggles on what I should do in the meantime. And I think I spent too much time in the middle of, you know, should I, you know, keeping one foot in one door and keeping the other foot, you know, sort of headed in the right direction. And so getting over that initial confidence hurdle was probably the biggest step. Now, without much more, you know, sort of jibber jabber on what I, you know, sort of the confidence hurdles that I have overcome and to relaunching the old show, let's take a look at the 
logistical steps that I took in order to relaunch this ep- or relaunch my podcast. And so the first step was to do an analysis of every single episode that I've ever produced. Are any of those episodes on the old pod going to be useful for the audience that I'm hoping to craft in the new pod? And so the new pod is obviously B2B focus, has a very strong focus on marketing, on tech, on business, on just overall website, uh, digital marketing tips, uh, things like that. And so looking at my old episodes, are any of those episodes good to use in the new format? And how I looked at this is not only my own shows that I've done, but other interviews that I've done on other shows. Can I use any of that content on this new platform? And so once I nailed down a list of anywhere from eight to 10 episodes, I took those episodes and I edited them down in order to fit this new audience. And so with a lot of my older shows, I had different segments planned throughout the show, but not all those segments are going to be relevant to a B2B crowd. And a lot of those stories that I was talking about on the old pod just aren't timely. They're not relevant. They're not evergreen. So those were cut out of the mix. So cut those out of the mix, only wanted to include relevant evergreen information into the new podcast. And then from there, I had some old intro music that I had gotten developed, but didn't actually use on the old podcast. And so if any of you are thinking about, you know, how do I find, you know, sort of intro music and things like that, I have a local guy that I use, and he makes beats. And so for him, he made four to six beats for me, Mecca the Marvelous, look him up on IG. If you like my music and want to hear something similar, or he can make something custom for you. So he made about four to six beats for me. I only used two of them on the old podcast. So guess what? I had a few more in order to use for this podcast. So I got that intro music down and I wanted to kind of craft an experience of, of getting, setting the mood for my podcast. Because for a lot of shows that I listen to, I notice that they have a nice intro. Those shows that I consistently listen to, they either jump right into the good content or they set the show up with what they think you're going to find value in or they set it up with intro music where the intro music plays for about five to 10 seconds and then they get into the show. So I wanted to have a little bit of each of those things all right into this podcast. So then you know that the episodes that I'm recording every week, once you hit play, it's sending you into, it sends your, I don't know, your, maybe your ears into a little bit more of a, okay, let's sit down. This is going to be 30 to 45 minutes, maybe a little bit more than that. And it's going to be an experience and you're going to learn something. And so the music to me really sets the tone for a lot of the shows I listen to. And so I wanted to bring that same message into mine. So after deciding the eight episodes that I wanted to use, then I added, remastered them, if you will. I added in the intro and the outro music. Then I set up the shows with new audio and explaining to the guest or to the listener of this is why I think you're going to find value in this show. So I did those for each one of the episodes. And then I recorded a brand new trailer. Now the trailer can be, I think, anywhere from 30 seconds to two minutes long. And the trailer is designed to appear on your Apple podcast page. Um, you're usually your hosting provider, your podcast hosting provider will also have your trailer that's able to be played. Um, immediately it shows up at the top of your, you know, your podcast website or your, your, your main podcast. If somebody were to look for your podcast, usually that trailer would be the first episode that someone else would see. So I recorded that one as well, just to give people a brief overview of what they can expect from the show. And so I made sure to do those things for all of the eight episodes. I mean, obviously, you're not going to record a trailer for each episode. You're going to record one trailer, but I did the intro music, I did the outro music, and then I set up the show for each of those eight episodes. And so I uploaded all of those eight episodes into Buzzsprout. Now, Buzzsprout is a podcast hosting company. There are several hosting companies out there, but Buzzsprout is a local Jacksonville-based company. I actually have been podcasting. I've been hosting with them for years and only recently, as within the last couple of years, found out that they're a local Jacksonville company. What they do is they, they're already developers. They, they have a great team here locally in town and they decided to start up a podcast hosting business and they they did it sort of like a side hustle and it has really grown into this great, incredible community. 
I mentioned them because one of their really cool tools is that they submit to different directories. And so once you have a hosting company, then you can send your podcast file to Apple, to Spotify, to Google, to all of these different podcast player platforms. And there's a ton of them. There's now all of these third-party apps that then tie into different podcast providers. And you think of, you know, apps like Overcast or um, Stitcher or uh, even iHeartRadio to an extent. You know, all of these different platforms are are considered directories. And so Buzzsprout helps you submit your podcast to all of those directories because some of those directories are probably a little bit lesser known. One of the big shining lights for a few people that I, I, I'm in a podcasting group and one of the shining light examples of taking advantage of a platform that doesn't have a lot of podcasts on there right now is Pandora. Pandora is sort of a, a company that was, it's sort of past its prime, but between Spotify, between Apple Music, Pandora has sort of lost a little bit of its luster. So they're looking for more creators to, to add to the audio mix. Now, on the flip side, there are still a lot of people who are extremely dedicated to Pandora. I know that I once was, and it took forever for me to, to get my radio stations right in order to get it to where they're constantly playing music that I really dig, you know, the thumbs up or the thumbs down. So I spent years crafting my own personal stations on Pandora. So it was a difficult transition for me to make the jump from Pandora to Spotify. But for a lot of people, they never wanted to make the jump. Some people, once they get familiar with the technology platform, they never want to leave and they stay there. Now, Pandora, taking advantage of that, they're adding more podcasts to the mix. And so circling back to the group that I'm a part of, this one group gets thousands of downloads from Pandora each and every month. And they're essentially a, a music and entertainment style podcast, but they get a lot of their plays from Pandora. And the only assumption that I can make there is because of those users who are so dedicated to their stations as I once was. And so they refuse to leave. And now they're just slowly incorporating some of their, you know, their listening habits, their audio listening habits in with Pandora. And so that's how they're exploring podcasts. So if you want to get into those different directories, Buzzsprout makes it super easy to do. Pandora, it it kind of ironically was the only tricky one because with their submission process, it's a, a little buggy on Pandora's end. So you have to manually send over an email, get them to manually approve it. And then after that is done, it usually takes about, it's a three week process until you get the notification from Pandora that, you, you know, your podcast has been approved and it's now appearing. But looking at some of my stats, especially within Buzzsprout, which is another good reason to use them, that Pandora is ranking as one of the podcast players where, where some of my listens are coming from. There's a couple, you know, sort of shocking things that come out of it because there are some of these players that I would have never thought that users would actually use in order to listen to a podcast. But it's all of these directories are free to add to are free to add your podcast to it. So if you can add your podcast and sort of, you know, just spray it in as many directions as possible, then that is something that I would highly advise. So if you already have a podcast running, or maybe you're thinking about relaunching a podcast or launching a new podcast, then you want to make sure that you're picking a hosting provider that allows you to submit to these other directories. And Buzzsprout makes it super easy to do. I'm not sure how other platforms, how that submission process looks like, but some of these different platforms, you can do it manually. So if you have another hosting provider and they don't have the ability to submit the podcast for you on your behalf, I would check with some of these these other providers, because I'm going through some it's some of my lists of people who have listened to the podcast. So apps like Podcast Addict, Deezer, Beyond Pod, Player FM, The Podcast App, Bullhorn, CastBox, all of these companies I've never heard of, but I submitted them just in case. And I'm getting a significant amount of plays from those platforms. So it, it's a situation where you want to, you want to go where the fit, you want to fish where the fish are. And so sending your content that you're already creating in a podcast environment to these other platforms is a no brainer, in my opinion. So backing up a little bit or sort of recapping, I think. That kind of quantifies us doing both, but uploaded all eight episodes to the new podcast, uh, wrote out my bio, uploaded the trailer, and then I submitted the podcast to all of the directories. And I did this all 
before I told a soul about what I was doing. And the reason I did all this is because I wanted to give users a good idea or give listeners a good idea of what kind of content they can expect from me at a glance, if by chance they were to click on my announcement link whenever I finally do announce the podcast. So I wanted them to be able to A, binge the content if they wanted to, and then B, get a good quick glance of what this show is all about. And so after I did all of those things, then that is when I announced the show to family, to friends, to personal contacts. Um, I asked them to check it out, to listen to it, send me, you know, feedback, let me know what episode you like the best. And then also I asked them to leave a review. So early on in the process, when you first launch a new podcast, it, it, you can get a significant amount of traction if you get on Apple's new and noteworthy list. That leads to thousands and thousands of downloads potentially. And so that was my thinking behind it is that I've done some research and, you know, watching what other podcasts have done. Those were the, those are the reasons why I took the steps that I took in order to have a good listening environment for those users. I, I felt that all of those things were very important with the added bonus of hopefully getting on Apple's new and noteworthy. It didn't actually happen. Womp womp. But it's, um, it's, it's definitely something that I learned a ton from. And I still think it was a valuable experience in order to get all of the reviews. I, I've had right now for a new podcast, I have, I think 16 or 17 five star reviews. And so that's instant social credit. That's instant social affirmation. Whenever somebody new, you know, a few months later clicks on the podcast and they say, Oh, this person has a lot of really good reviews. Let me scroll through and see what the episodes look like. And so that's after taking that step, then that's when I took the extra step and started announcing it to business friends, colleagues, things like that. And so then that way they can see that, hey, this, this girl is serious. She's putting out content that I, you know, I'm particularly interested in, or maybe somebody else within my team is going to be interested in it as well. And so creating that initial shareability, I think really went a long way. Another added step that I did is I added a page to my website and added, you know, the the podcast player. Usually when you have a you're hosting with a company, they will give you an embed code. And that embed code, you can then add to your website. And that code will allow a user to play either one episode or several episodes right on your website. And so those plays all count. They all go to the, the you know, the same source and they're, they're allocated appropriately. But having that dedicated page on the website, it's already one of my top pages on the entire site. And it's one of the first pages that new visitors will go to after they come in through either a blog post or they come into the home page. And so from there, creating that funnel, creating that effect of getting those visitors to click on a link either through a blog or through the home page and then to check out the podcast next is is that added extra step. Now on the rest of the page I have the player, I have my social media links and I have any kind of blog posts that are related to, you know, the show notes of episodes that I've published and then I also on that page have a form. So if users have say a marketing or a website question, they can submit it right on the website. Uh, also if they have, you know, a guest idea or if they want to be a guest on the show, then they can submit that as well, all right on the page. So doing all of those things helped, especially from the initial launch perspective, just to prove that this isn't a fly-by-night thing for me. This is something that I've done for years, but it's transitioning into a business environment. And so letting people know, I think having that the eight episodes that are edited and then submitting it to all of the directories. I'm making it as easy as possible for someone to digest my content because ultimately that's what I want people to do is I want them to listen to the podcast, enjoy it, and then hopefully in the future start interacting with me either by submitting story ideas, asking me a question, or hopefully maybe down the line, and this is going to be a very small amount of those listeners, but becoming a customer. And so those are their overall goals of the podcast is sharing 
educational content at scale, but then the monetization comes later on down the line. So I think of it as sort of an overall marketing investment, not necessarily something that's going to have leads, you know, sort of beating down my door tomorrow in order to, you know, do business with me. That that just doesn't happen in the modern business world anymore. So it's one of those things where I want to, I want to warm up my audience with my content. And then when they're ready to buy, then they come to me and, and they, they inquire about my services before they ever go to Google to try to solve their problem, before they ever go to maybe a competitor to try to get them to solve their problem. Because I know my competitors aren't putting out the content that I'm putting out. And I know that I'm a little bit of a differentiating voice in this field, in this environment. So I want to use that to my advantage to let people know that I'm not like the rest of these people out here. I'm not like the rest of these companies out here. When you come to me, you're going to get the the cold, honest truth. You're going to get insider strategy of what I'm personally using from in the trenches versus somebody else who just talks about what you should be doing instead of actually putting a lot of those different marketing and digital media strategies into their own practice so they can better advise you. They don't do that, but I do. And so that's where the podcast comes into play is I'm the voice. I'm the vehicle for that message. Now we've got our setup already done. We've gotten the directories already submitted. We have a bunch of episodes already created. Now we have to get into sort of the, the, the meat and potatoes of what you're going to be doing on a consistent basis. And that's creating content on the regular. So for me, it's, I'm balancing a full-time job. I have client work that I have to do. I have normal life things, groceries, family time, uh, you know, hobbies, things like that. Balancing that with creating content is something that I personally like to do, but I also know that I have to do it in order to generate future business, generate leads, and, and get that content wheel in motion. And so not only am I balancing a full-time job plus producing, hosting, editing, and the distribution of the show, but I'm also, I have to balance guest interviews because you'll find out that once you launch a show, Plenty of people are going to want to be a guest, but not everyone is a good guest for your audience because if it hasn't already happened, it's going to happen where people just invite themselves on your show. And it's one of those things where you have to balance that delicate conversation where you have to bring value to my audience in order to appear on my show. This isn't a hobby. This is a business. And so you have to sort of navigate those waters effectively. I've had people that just reach out cold. Hey, when are you going to have me on your podcast? And then they say nothing else. And I ignore those messages because if you don't come with a value prop, if you don't come with what you want to talk about, then I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to put my audience through that because they trust me to give them good content. And so if you want to be on my show, you got to come with it. You got to bring it. You got to tell me what value you are bringing to my audience. And then I will think about having you on the show in order to elaborate on those ideas further. I never want this show to be a sales pitch, to be just a sales seminar nonstop. It's going to be educational value first, entertainment value second, and then on the end side of things, you know, maybe you'll get some additional sales from it, but you're definitely going to get awareness from it. So it's all about balancing those conversations on who should be a guest and who shouldn't. As the host, you have to be the person to decide on what kind of show format you're going to have. Are you going to have, you know, just you sitting in front of a microphone and talking the entire time on a few different topics? Or are you going to be interviewing guests? Are you going to be a, a combination of the two? What kind of guests are you going to bring on? Are they even good on camera? Are they even good on the mic? Some people freeze up the minute you start... The, hitting record. And so you have to balance those conversations. And then if it's a good recording, because sometimes the recording is not going to turn out so hot and you have to make the decision as the show host, as the show owner of what is the next step after you're actually recording with that guest and editing the show and seeing if it's still a good fit. Because you can jump through all of these hoops and then the interview just falls completely flat. The The guest offers no value. They freeze up. Uh, it, maybe it turns into a sales pitch the entire time. And it, it's it's one of those situations where 
nine times out of 10, you're going to publish the show. But how are you going to handle those instances where the guest just isn't a good fit? The audio turns out to be shit. Maybe you run into, you know, some technical difficulties. And it's, it's one of those situations where you have to always keep your audience in mind. Is my audience going to find value from this? And so balancing the guest interviews has been something of, I don't want to say a struggle so far. But I personally struggle with telling people no. Um, so nine times out of 10, if somebody says, hey, I should be a guest on your podcast and they don't say anything else, I'm not following that up because it's just it's not worth my time and energy. If you don't want to take the time and energy to tell me why you're a good fit, then I'm not going to take the time and energy to tell you why you're not. And so it's one of those things where you, you as the show host, have to decide how you're going to handle those conversations. And then if the conversation goes great and you end up interviewing the person and it turns out to be a dud, then you have to handle that conversation of letting that person know, hey, this just wasn't up to par. Maybe we can do something later on down the line. But switching gears to where someone is a good fit, this is how I handle it. So I have a tool that I use in my bookkeeping sort of uh, customer management software called Dubsado, and they have questionnaires that you can send out to uh, to to different people. But on the flip side for the podcast, I also have a questionnaire for the podcast in order to get um, nine times out of 10, if you're going to have a guest, or I would say probably 10 times out of 10, you should know the name of your guest if you, uh, you are having a guest on your show. But titles can usually be kind of tricky because you want you, you never want to assume that someone is a founder. You never want to assume that someone is a VP or a CEO unless they explicitly say that they are. So this questionnaire has boxes where they're going to fill in those that kind of information, where they're an expertise in, how they handle challenging situations, also their social handles. All of that information is pertinent to the interview and then also sharing the interview. So I get all of that information up front. So then that way, and then I also, side note, I also include a few different questions about how, you know, what was the most challenging conflict that you ever faced at work and how did you get over it? What's one thing that you think that more people should be aware of? These are the kind of questions that that kind of give me a peek into, you know, how this person reacts, how this person is. Because with switching, one thing that I have noticed was switching from the B2C podcast world to the B2B podcast world is not a lot of people in B2B have done a lot of interviews. There's that 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 pool is a little bit smaller than, you know, say the the sports and entertainment crowd where they're doing interviews uh, damn near multiple times per week. And so you have to know a little bit of insight into someone. And so that questionnaire helps a ton. I don't schedule the interview until someone has filled out that questionnaire. Once they fill out the questionnaire, then from that point, we set a date to record. And then from there, I will research that person both on social media, and then I'll also research their company. And then I will take all of that information that I have and compile it into a Google Doc. And then in the Google Doc is where I'll have a list of questions that I definitely want to ask. And so from there, I will also send over the guest a recommendation for their tech breakdown. So this has helped a ton, especially with, with some of the interviews, because in the B2B world, when you are dealing with people who haven't done interviews before, they don't know the nuance of it. They don't know that Sometimes, you know, the lawn man could be outside and maybe you should close that window so we don't hear a lawnmower going off in the background of the show that we're about to start hosting. So little things like that. Make sure you're in a quiet room. Um, this is going to be make sure you tell the guests if it's a video or audio only or maybe it's both. I always make sure that I tell them that it's video and that it will also be published to the YouTube page if the video turns out well and then also to uh, the obviously the podcast podcast because that's what we're recording from. But doing a video interview just helps with the question flow. It helps with, you know, realizing when someone wants to speak while you're speaking and vice versa. So that really goes a long way. I always recommend, you know, sort of video first interviews. And then that way you can gauge the guest reaction based off of the things that you're talking about and whether they want to do a quick follow-up or maybe you have a quick follow-up question into something that they just answered. And so, or maybe you want to interject. Video makes all of those things a lot easier and your interviewing skills will get better over time as long as you 
have the video component added in. I love live interviews. Those are by far my favorite. I feel like you get the most authentic interviews whenever you have an in-person environment. Now, obviously, because of COVID, not all of us can do that until we all get vaccinated. And so on on that end of things, that's why I choose to go video first and do them remote as of right now. But in the future, I would love to start doing more in-person interviews because they just hit so much better. But until then, make sure that your guest has a, a a good rundown of the questions to expect. And the questionnaire usually gives them a good insight of, of where you're going to go with some of your questions and then also how you're going to be recording it. Some of these companies don't even haven't even purchased a mic yet. We've been working from home for a year now, and uh, I'm still amazed at how many people just don't have a microphone yet. You guys, they are $20 on Amazon for a little lapel microphone. It either plugs right into your phone. Also, a lot of webcams have built-in microphones. The, a lot of those are frankly shit, but you should you should invest in a microphone. Not everyone needs you know a hundred dollar blue Yeti microphone or a condenser microphone, which is significantly more expensive, but you want to have something decent that allows you to have good sound quality because when you're recording, you're recording for the podcast audience first and the video component is just an added bonus. And so using all of those things in mind, set the guest up for success from the beginning. Let them know that, hey, you know, you want to make sure that you don't have any interruptions. And then you also want to make sure that they feel comfortable. Uh, Going back to the nervousness of some of these people who haven't done interviews before, they're nervous. And so it's up to you as the host in order to make them feel comfortable, in order to make them, because if they're comfortable, they're going to be sharing the better stories. They're going to be sharing the better insight. And, and you also want to make sure that from just a, a speaking conversational perspective that the guest also knows that, hey, if you say anything out of line, we can edit it out. I don't, I, I am not a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist trying to, you know, get an award for a hard hitting interview. I'm trying to have a co- casual conversation about how your business or how your company and how this particular guest can help my audience with a pain point that they're going through. And so if they end up slipping up and saying something bad about a former employer or something like that. I want to make it known to the guests that, hey, we can edit that out afterwards. Don't worry about, you know, saying something too personal or saying something a little too over the top that you're going to regret later on. So making the guests feel comfortable right off the bat, and especially from a tech perspective and from a speaking perspective, I think goes a long way. Now, when you're actually ready to start recording. My current tech stack is I record through Google Meeting. So, uh, well, I don't technically record through Google Meeting. I conduct the interview through Google Meeting and then I'm recording using a tool called Camtasia, C-A-M-T-A-S-I-A, and it has been a lifesaver for me. Um, they have a screen recording option. And so because I was a little bit too cheap and I didn't want to pay Google any more money in order to upgrade their Google meeting or my Google business account, uh, what I did is I used the tools that I already have. And I used the screen recording option from Camtasia, and I had the Google Meet page set up, and I, you know, make sure my audio components and all are set up correctly. Do your testing before you do the interview. That is so key. It is so clutch because if you find out after the fact of doing your interview and then you have to go back to that guest and tell them why you can't publish it, it's a very embarrassing conversation. Trust me. But that's my current tech stack is that I host the meeting through Google Meet. I record it using Screen Recorder in Camtasia, and then I edit the actual show, both video and audio, in Camtasia. Now, my future tech stack, because what I've discovered with recording through Google Meet is that the video quality is kind of trash. And so I am always trying to make minor improvements in everything that I do. And so watching a couple other podcasters that record a kind of the same way the future, as in I'm doing this tomorrow, is upgrading my Zoom subscription. Um, it's actually a little bit more expensive than if I were to just upgrade Google Meet. But with Zoom, I can have the recurring events. I can have uh, also I can record natively with a separate device. And so recording natively 
in addition to recording the Zoom meeting is super helpful because then I can use the native recording, which is an HD and uh, you know a higher frame per second. I can use that video to edit out for my show clips. And the show clips help tremendously with the show distribution in order to, to get that out to the audience, in order to, to entice them to listen to the full show. And so getting that native video recording is going to be super key. Then that way I can have the Zoom recording as the full show. Then I can use the native recording and import the native recording into Camtasia. So then that way I can edit the show and do my thing within Camtasia like I'm, you know, been doing for the past year. And if you're sort of new to all of this, you know, audio, editing, video, all of that, it sounds super intimidating. And it did for me too, but Camtasia has helped me a ton. I started off editing video and TikTok kind of got the hang of it. And then it gave me the confidence to start editing in Camtasia. And I'm telling you, it, it is a breeze in order to learn. They, they make the components super easy. Some of these, you know, there are open source options out there like Audacity. There's OBS as well. Um, I've used those tools before. They are really confusing and they're kind of clunky. Uh, you really have to practice at those tools a lot in order to get a general hang of things. With Camtasia, it was a pretty easy learning curve. And anything that I questioned back then or even still now, they have a ton of helpful videos all across their website, on YouTube, different platforms. I'll link to the all the tools that I use. I'll put them in the show notes and then that way you guys can check them out if you want. But I cannot speak any more highly about Camtasia than I already have on this show. So once you got your show recorded, you've got it loaded up in your video editor of choice. What I do is I add my music, I add my intro, I add my exit to kind of signal to the audience that, hey, we're starting the show, hey, we're ending the show. And then I also add any kind of audio setups. So say, I do an interview on another show and they give me the show file to share with my audience. And so what I'll do is I'll cut out their intro about me because if you're listening to my podcast, you probably already know about me. You don't need to hear my life story again. So what I'll do is I'll cut that part out, get to the meat and potatoes of it, and then I'll import that into Camtasia add my own intro to it, set up the show and say, hey, this is why I think you'll find this show valuable and set it up properly along with the music intro and out. And then I export the show, make sure it all sounds good. And then I'll write my show descriptions. I'll write the show title. I'll get that all uploaded to Buzzsprout. I'll also get if the video turned out well, which is why I'm sort of making this transition from the screen recording of Google Meet to Zoom, if the recording turned out well, which it hasn't in the past, what I'll then do is then upload that video to YouTube because it's just easy and it's there and video is king right now. And so is uh, and video. I guess if, if video is king, then audio is definitely queen. And so I make sure that I hit those two touch points. And then after that is all done, I will re-listen to the show. And I'll listen to it a couple times because not only do I want to hear if the quality is good, if the, it, it, you know, if I missed anything, then I can just do a quick, you know, show edit and then export it again and re-upload it and just replace the file. A lot of podcast hosts, even YouTube does it as well. You can replace the video file or the audio file with a new one. And so I'll re-listen to the whole show again and then I'll also make timestamp notes and I'll make those timestamp notes because I think that those are going to be good clips in order to get the show out to more people. And when I say clips, I mean anywhere from three to five minutes, sometimes only a minute. And what I'll do is I'll take that clip and put it into a different file template all within Camtasia. And using that tool, I'm able to add a background color. I'm able to add a title to the video. I'm able to get it in the right dimensions of where it makes sense for whatever platform that I'm sending that video to. So LinkedIn is going to have a little bit of a different format than a video that I'm sending out on, you know, IGTV, if I, you know, even want to mess with that in the future. But all these different platforms, you know, from 
you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, all of these platforms have different video sizes that are ideal for that platform. And so using that clip, I can take that isolated clip and I can add it to these different templates that I already have saved into my Camtasia library. And so once I've done that, I export them all to a Dropbox folder and then that Dropbox folder syncs to my iPhone. And then when I'm waking up in the morning, all I have to do is go to Dropbox, check out my social clips folder that I have saved. I can see what topic I'm feeling for the day. And then from there, I'll export the video from Dropbox into my phone. I'll upload it to a caption generator software, which is you can find these different apps on, you know, the, in, within the app store. I personally use an app called Captioned and it's captioned with a K. And that's, I ended up just paying for it. So that's the one that I use. I know that there are others out there that I might give a shot, especially the ones that, you know, a lot of people use for TikTok videos. So I'll be experimenting in the future, but I've already paid for this one app. So I'm just going to keep using it. So I use that app to create the captions and in my templates, this is important. So within the, the templates in Camtasia, I leave a space on my videos so I can add captions to it. And so I usually leave a space down near the bottom where you still have the same background color, you know, branding wise. Um, I'm using a bright yellow because I feel like that it will, A, it fits into my logo and my branding scheme, but then B, it also stands out in the timeline. And so I'll leave that space open at the bottom of the template. And so then that way, Whenever I'm uploading a video and adding captions to it, those cap- those captions pop just a little bit more using the app. It usually takes probably, a f- depending on how long your video is, it will take probably, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes in order to properly caption the video. And it does it automatically, but then you have to go and you have to clean up some stuff because it doesn't catch certain words correctly or, you know, capitalizes a word in the middle of a sentence or something like that. So I will fix those things and then I will take that video and I'll upload it directly to LinkedIn. I'll usually add on a witty caption to it, um, explaining, you know, maybe diving in a little bit deeper of step by step of this is how I solve problem X. And here's the video explaining it. And then within the comments of the LinkedIn post, I will link to that show of where it came from. So then that way, as users, because if you put yourself in the user's perspective, if they are looking at a show that is 45 minutes to an hour, they don't know if they want to invest that time yet. But if they watch a clip on social media, that's only two minutes long, that's a low time investment for them. So they can watch the clip, they can even read what you're saying, because you added captions to it. The majority of people when they're scrolling on their phone, they're not scrolling with volume on. So that's the reason I'm adding the captions. And so after you do that, then it entices the user. And if it's a, and if it's interesting, if you chose a good clip, then that entices the user to click and go and seek out your show or to click on the link in the comments in order to listen to the rest of the show. People are busy. People don't have time or they don't know that they have time to invest in your 45 minute to an hour long show. So using that format, using that, you know, sort of process steps, that's how I attack, you know, not only creating a show, but then the distribution of that show is creating those clips. Those clips go a long way. Um, so I, I highly recommend if you have, say, an hour long show picking out anywhere from three to five clips, sometimes upwards of seven, eight, 10 clips I'll get from a single episode, especially if it's a really good episode. And you don't have to use all of those clips within one week. I keep a folder, the Dropbox folder. And so then after I publish a video, then I will move that video into the archives. And then that way I know that when I wake up in the morning and I know I need to do a social post, then what I'll do is I'll look in that folder and I know that the ones that are sitting right in front of me are the ones that I haven't posted yet. And so going back to sort of the original sort of mantra or the messaging, yes, you want to promote the show that you just did. You want to go hard on it, but sometimes the, the, it gets a little stagnant and you want to sort of spice it up with, different videos because I think people can tell if, I mean, obviously people can tell, you know, different hairstyles, different outfits, um, different topics of what you're talking about. You don't, you want people to think that it's, you know, it's new and popping every day versus a video maybe you recorded earlier in the week and you're going to share five clips and they're all going to look the same. 
you want to kind of differentiate it a little bit so then people know that, hey, this is a new piece of content. This isn't from that same show that you've already seen a couple pieces of content from already. So changing it up a little bit, I feel, helps out a ton. Now, after saying all of this, we talk about the initial concept of of creating a show, of, of getting old episodes, using what you got in order to craft that new experience, and then also honing in on your strategy of continuing to pr- produce new shows, all of that culminates and it all sort of, it it goes into a new ever adjusting plan. You're always going to update this plan. You're always going to want to add something new to the mix. I would just suggest that you start off with using one platform and doing it really, really well, and then start adding in more experiments because you don't know what's going to work right off of the bat, but you want to make sure that you're putting a lot of effort into one platform first. So if you're going to relaunch or even launch a new show, then you really want to focus on maybe the podcast aspect first and then using those clips in order to distribute out to one social network. And then once you have it really dialed in with one social network, then you want to maybe add in a new experiment on that new social network while you still have everything else running as you typically do, add in a new experiment into that one social media platform. And then if you find that it's really working well and you found your groove there, only then should you move on to a new platform. So for me personally, I've really been honing in on LinkedIn over the past, you know, sort of six to eight months of putting my content primarily on LinkedIn and then doing that really well first before I move into another platform. The next platform I'm going to be transitioning to is TikTok because it's the social media platform I enjoy the most. I've been studying other podcasters of how they add their, of how they promote their show in TikTok. And I think I have a really good feel for it now. A few months ago, I wouldn't have had a good feel for it. So if I would have just tried to reproduce or, you know, try to add the same content that I'm adding to LinkedIn and add it to TikTok, that's not going to work. You have to invest that time into learning what that platform how, I guess, the vibe of that platform is, how that audience speaks, how they speak to each other, checking the comments, commenting on different things, checking out what different podcasters are doing, what type of videos are working really well for them, what type of promo is really working for them. And so checking on, I don't want to say your competition, but just people that you actually admire that are doing a great job. A lot of B2B marketers will sort of stay in this own little safe box and when And in reality, you know, people buy from people. We're all in reality dealing with B2C world, even though you're in B2B marketing. And so using these tactics that I've seen out in the sports and entertainment world and bringing them into the B2B world is really my bread and butter. And so I guess, you know, bread and butter, B2B, that's kind of a, that's a lame joke, but it was a good timing one. So bringing it back to well, does this all actually work? And the proof is in my numbers. And since November, since launching in November, the show has had thousands of downloads. I've had an enormous growth on Instagram for some reason. I've gone from, and I don't even really mess with Instagram like that, but I've gone from having about a 100 followers to close to 600 now, which is great. Um, So that has grown. LinkedIn has grown like crazy. And in the actual sort of, uh, I, I, I guess, the, the bottom line, like ROI, why from it, I'm averaging five to seven sales calls per week from people who are listening to the content that I'm providing, not only on LinkedIn, but then they're going to the podcast and listening even more. And then they're taking that show. And the only reason I know this is because they've actually told me, they sent DMs telling me that, hey, I love your show. I sent it to my boss. Hey, I love your show. I sent it to my girlfriend that works for you know this logistics company. And so that kind of thing, you can't necessarily measure in an analytics report, but I can tell by the inbound number of sales calls or sales requests that I'm getting. And then the ultimate close rate of those sales calls, I know what I'm doing is working. And so now that I know that what I'm doing is working on one platform, I'm ready to experiment with more while keeping the same engine sort of running on in in, in full motion on these other platforms that I feel like I've, I've done a pretty good job at. I'm not quitting those platforms by any means, but I am using stuff that I have learned in order to apply it to a new platform. So I'm not spreading myself too thin. I think for so long of my marketing career, I have tried to be everywhere 
And when you try to be everywhere, then you end up experiencing no growth or your growth stalls. And then you sort of have to go back to the drawing board. I'm experiencing that right now with my own personal Instagram where my engagement is flat, flat, flat. But on my business Instagram, that's going through the roof. And when I say through the roof, I mean, I'm actually getting new followers instead of losing them like I am on my personal account. So it works out pretty well, five to seven sales calls per week, which is kind of my max. I don't really have the capacity to handle any more than that in addition to my current workload, my current clients, and then the content that I'm producing and just trying to have a good work-life balance. I don't want to work my life away like I feel like I did, you know, for a lot of my 20s. Um, so especially after this last year with, you know, everybody sort of if trying to find the balance between work and life, I feel like this is a really good mix for me and averaging that many sales calls plus a close rate of around 40% for each of them actually becoming doing business with me is is a pretty good rate that I'd like to keep up, but I have to do it in a more mindful way. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that breakdown of how I relaunched my podcast. Just to sort of recap, we talked about the episodes that you should sort of look back on and if they have any kind of, you know, evergreen content in mind, if they have a, you know, a, a vibe that you could share, hey, I can share this again in the future, then you want to mark those down. If you've done interviews with other shows, if you've created, you know, blogs in the past, um, use that to your advantage in, in order to launch or relaunch a show. I'm a big believer in using the content that you already have because nine times out of 10, the majority of your audience probably hasn't seen it yet. And if they probably have seen it, if it's good enough, they'll enjoy the reminder. You know, we judge a lot of things, especially like music and movies off the rewatchability of things. And so you should apply that concept to your own content that you're, you're producing as well. So use what you got. You know, when you're relaunching, make sure that you have a really good balance of, of, the, the value that you're providing, the guests that you're going to be having on and the content that you're ultimately serving to your audience. It's your responsibility to serve your audience or else you're not going to have an audience for very long. So doing all of those things, balancing the creation of the podcast, uh, the, the editing of it, if you choose to do it yourself, if you choose to outsource it, uh, probably sometime in the future, I will outsource a lot of this, though I don't think you can outsource everything, especially from the, the show clips side, because I, for that, I'm very particular about the show clips that I use, and so I prefer to do them myself. So doing all of that, setting up the tech, and then just keeping the engine going, Getting started, I think, is one of the easier parts, but it's keeping the engine going that I think a lot of people sort of either fall off or they get, you know, they get frustrated because it's not, you know, working out. It's, it's they're not seeing the results after a couple of months. It, it keep don't keep going, keep doing it, and I promise, like, if you're paying attention to the metrics that matter, not the vanity ones, then you're going to learn what's resonating with your audience, and then you can learn to do that more often so that you can continue providing value to them and they can continue sharing it with their crowd and sharing it with like-minded folks. So if you enjoyed that, I hope that you will check out more episodes from the podcast. Just be sure to Google Digital Dispatch Podcast. It should be the first page that pops up in your results. And on that site, you should be able to find any of my social profiles. Um, So if you would like to follow me on LinkedIn or TikTok or any of these other platforms, they're all linked for you right on that page. But until then, we will have another episode for you in the coming weeks. And we'll also have some really cool announcements coming in the couple weeks, which is just going to be more content and more great stuff for you guys here. So thank you again for your time. And I will see you real soon.